Canuck Central, a lot of uh, discussion about fairies <laughs> in the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox now. Yeah, our guy Marcus and Gibson's Gibson's obviously yep. Sunshine Coast says loves living here. Fairy resorts are a must for any weekend in the summer. Won't travel if I can't get one. Love the vibes this place has, and the fairies are a part of it. And great golf, Sunshine Coast, Roberts Creek, Seashelt, and Pender Harbor. Uh, float plane is the only way to go when you're heading to the island. That's uh, that's one texter. Float on by. I've never taken one of those uh, the the planes. Neither neither have Harbor I. Harbor Air or whatever they call it. Oh, actually, I have taken one taken yeah? one once once. I forgot. Yes. Hmm. Yes. To fly to Port Hardy. Port Hardy. Yeah. For a fishing trip or something. Yeah, it was great. Mm. So uh, that's um, that is interesting because I haven't done that. But something I uh, should probably get to at some point. I know our, our our guy Sea Legs is uh, inviting us over. Oh yeah, we got a lot of uh, listeners out out on the island. Shout to to the island and yeah. Sunshine Coast and the different areas you are listening from across uh, this beautiful province. Yeah. We've gotten a lot of questions about um, Arthur Silovs today, Sat. And uh, if you're listening to it on podcast, you can listen to it in, in different variations he's having a great world championships had a solid season with the abbotsford canucks played a few games at the nhl level is really winning a lot of people over as a big part of the future here Mm -hmm. in vancouver how much does that factor in does it at all factor into the canucks off-season planning with how arthur silovs has played and continues to play at the world no i don't think so yeah. I don't think it, it affects any other short-term decision-making. Now, in terms of their long-term thinking and how they view Artur Salovs and how he may fit in, this is just more information that they're gathering on him, and I think it gives them more confidence on him and his potential. But as we'll talk to Woodley here coming up in a couple of minutes, I mean, organizationally, they're very high on Artur Salovs. Yeah. Ian Clark, we've heard for a long time, really likes this guy, and we kind of— Saw why this year, not only in Abbotsford, but also the games he played in Vancouver. So there's a lot there in him, but I think there's also a realization that he still needs time. Mm-hmm. He still hasn't played a ton of games. And we, even though he's looked great, you still see things. You're like, okay, he still needs to hone things in and work on it and get better. So he still has a, a relatively long way to go to, to be a you know high-level player. But there's a lot there in his game, but he needs to play. So I don't think the organization is changing their view on his ETA based on what happened this season and what's happening at the World Hockey Championship. Let's uh, bring in our next guest. It is uh, Kevin Woodley in Goal Magazine and our goalie guru here on Canucks Central each and every Wednesday. Also covers the Canucks at NHL.com. What's happening, Woodley? Not much, not much. The sun is shining. It is beautiful weather. I am, uh, I will admit, lamenting a little bit, uh, especially the way this series has gone. I wish Seattle had pissed a drop in Game 7 so that uh, I could still be covering some playoff hockey right now because this is the kind of day where you want to, you know, sort of cover morning skate, have an afternoon in the sun, and then walk into a rink. It reminds me of, you know, reminds me of 2011 and, and all those times and being down in Seattle for two rounds was uh, was nice. And it's funny because I'm guessing we're going to talk about Jay Gottinger at one point. Like, mm-hmm. I cringed a little bit. And, and it's not to take anything away from him because I still believe he's a really good young goalie. But all the bounce back talk after Dallas knocked Seattle out in game seven and, you know, the next day I ran the numbers at clear sight and like literally the Seattle Kraken hit the net with two high quality shots in the entire game. And yeah. one was the goal in the dying seconds with the extra attacker ball. Like they just 
did not generate a thing. And I think, you know, not just Ottinger, but around sort of the league in the playoffs, you know, as much as we focus on goaltending performance, it's that old saying I always drop about it never existing in a vacuum. Man, so much of this depends on what you do and don't give up as yeah. a team defensively in front of your guys. And Ottinger may be the biggest example of that. Um, you know, uh, defend well, and he's usually, you know, last night was, was, was an exception, but defend well, and he's usually going to give you really good goaltending. Open things up, and the goals are going in. That's just the reality, and it's kind of the system he's played behind his entire time in the NHL. Um, had a brilliant run in the playoffs last year, but for numbers that have sort of created this, um, you know, this, this, this expectation of what he is are, are largely tied to some really good defensive metrics underneath. Yeah. And I mean, and there's something we've been speaking about thematically here about like, you know, how, how teams have been playing and, and how important it is for Vancouver's standpoint. And I thought Mike Kelly had a really interesting video that he tweeted out NHL network and sports logic on his Twitter account about, how some of the changes have come out in the metrics for the Florida Panthers under Paul Maurice. And they've gone from being a team that was all about controlled exits out of their own zone and control entries into the offensive zone. And now it's become more about get the puck out, dump the puck in, and you're seeing a lot more success with, with that style of play. It, it seems like in the playoffs, handling the, the less you handle the puck in terms of trying to get from point A to point B seems to be better in terms of managing your risk, doesn't it? Well, you know, and we and we heard that I think it was Lindy Ruff, like you yeah. know, when things fell apart for New Jersey, talking about you know all of a sudden we're going D to D again, right? And and how that gives the mm-hmm. other team time to reset and and you know I, whether it's establish a neutral zone forecheck or or continue to hound you on on an offensive zone forecheck, like that's just you know time out of the zone is death, right? And, and I think it was Cam Sharon did a lot of work on. Um, with the project he had going around the Canucks earlier in the year. And I, I don't want to screw up and, and cite anything incorrectly because the work he does is so valuable. But if I remember, if I'm getting it right, uh, the gist of it being that, you know, like, you know, and I don't know what this was under Tockett, but, but under Boudreaux, like how long it took the Canucks to move the puck to start that transition process. And it was, you know, slow compared to other teams or slow in general. And, and when I look at some of the underlying stuff at ClearSight, like at the end of the day, sort of what you give up, regardless of how you get there um, and what you do to get to this number, what you give up defensively, um, you know, I'd, be, I'd be interested to take a deeper look at how those two things tie in. Because certainly in our talk, it, they went from being a, you know, a bottom three, bottom five team uh, most of the year under Boudreaux to you know, top five, six, seven in terms of underlying defensive metrics. You know, the Panthers were, I can't remember where they, and I don't have the numbers in front of me. I apologize, guys. It just came out of a bank meeting. Which are, those are always fun. Um, <laughs> but um, there was, you know, like they were better in that metric that I talked about than, say, the Bruins in round one. Like I should have paid more attention to that being a predictor of success, but the Bruins were mm-hmm. such a wagon. You know, I thought they would overcome that. And, you know, so I think how you achieve it like that's that's the fun stuff those are the details that whether it's a guy like Campron or Mike Kelly digging into the how those are great but at the end of the day they produce certain numbers certain sort of you know underlying numbers that I like to look at um and the Panthers were much better this year than they were in the past and I think they've taken it to another level here in the playoffs and 
you know, Bob's obviously on a heater, but when I look at what they're giving up in front of him, like the public numbers are overvaluing his performance. Mm -hmm. And so you say that as a goalie guy and you're like, hold hold on. Like, Like I, I hesitate to say it because he's been so damn good. He's like on a heater of all heaters. So I'm not trying to diminish it. But some of the numbers, like like 20 goals saved above expected in this series, like some of them are are absurd. Um, I think he was 3.8 in the first game with all the extra overtimes. And Freddie Anderson was right there until he gave up the, the you know the winning goal and 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 dropped one. So um, you know it's within that when you look at the specifics and dig down, a couple of things jump out on Bob to me. Uh, one, like hey, like he's like this is like a it's like a how to goalie in Clark tutorial going on right now. So many of the things that were built into his game and their time together, you can see them, uh, they're evident, you know, right down to the blocker and, and dropping the stick and a lot of the little finer details. But when he got caved in early in his time in Florida, going back and sort of looking at ClearSight has the ability to sort of produces a map uh, of the zone and just a ton of different locations that you can click on and see the results from. And I test combined with that map, like the first few years, he just got killed in the low to mid slot, sort of around the hash marks, pop plays into the middle, anything that got into there, he was just getting lit up over the pads and high, like just absolutely abused. When was the last time you guys saw them give up a chance from that area of the ice? Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen often. And... Exactly. So kind of my point, right? Like the silence is my point. It does. And that's so, what are you doing? You're making sure you're playing to your goaltender's strengths. You're not giving up the types of chances. I think this is something that Maurice did very well in Winnipeg. We've talked before about Connor Hellebuck, best goalie in the world in my mind, if you attack him in straight lines, falls off somewhat significantly. Again, that's not a criticism. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses. But if you go east-west, Maurice would give up in Winnipeg what looked like the most dangerous, like walk right in, nobody checks you on a power play, straight up shots on Connor Hellebuck as, because they knew he was good at that and they wouldn't give up the laterals. And so I think this is a little bit of that again, um, without having a, the benefit of talking to Paul Maurice and asking some of those specifics. It looks like he's really built uh, a system and a structure that makes sure, or at least makes it difficult for other teams to get to the relative weaknesses of Sergei Bobrovsky's game. And, um, you know, at the, and at the end of the day, Bob's on such a heater that those are diminished anyways. Mm-hmm. But if you can't attack them, like if you're playing to his strength and he's feeling that confident and good, well, I mean, we're seeing the results right now. Yeah, and it is interesting, though, because Florida wasn't necessarily a team during the season that you said defended really well. Um, and maybe some of that was – Hey, they weren't getting a lot of saves. Um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I watched a ton of Florida Panthers hockey during the course of the regular season. But even prior to Maurice, uh, with the Andrew Burnett era, it it just never really felt like a team that had, you know, lockdown D really is one of their traits as a team. But here they've, they've somehow developed it in the playoffs. Well, and hey, I won't pretend to have watched them a whole bunch either, other than at various points over the past couple of years, and mostly, you know, sort of the before and during the brunette year, looking at, you know, where Bob was struggling. Um, and I won't pretend to have watched them a ton this year. But again, that metric I talked about, that underlying five-on-five high-danger chances against, you know, was in the top third of the league, mm-hmm. was better than Boston, this, you know, this like all-time team 
And so maybe, you know, maybe whether it was we weren't watching or we assumed they were what they had always been, um, under Maurice, those things did get better. And you're seeing it, again, you're seeing it combined with a goalie who's feeling really good about his game uh, in the postseason. And frankly, you know, I mean, some of this is Carolina too, right? Like they don't, they created, they have at times created good chances. They haven't come anywhere near to finish them. Even like, yeah. take a look at, there's a, there's a, there's that one backdoor deflection that keeps getting replayed. Um, and Bob gets across and he makes a good blocker save, but you know, the next time you watch that, because I guarantee it'll be on the broadcast and the highlight reels tonight. And I'm not talking about the Aho one where he dropped his stick, because that was brilliant. Yeah. But there's another one where he comes across the middle. Just take a look at where that puck's heading relative to the net. You know, and again, uh, when you've got a hot goalie, you're not going to finish very often by putting it right into the middle of the net. And too often Carolina's done that. And Bob's a guy who plays around the edges he plays two extremes in terms of uh you know lateral positioning because he's so powerful because he can get across but the way to take advantage of that is to make him extend fully and by putting pucks into the middle of the net you're only forcing him to get halfway there and even when he gets caught well outside on the other end he's got enough power to make that up Aiden Hill that's all I have like, what can you tell us about why he's been as good as he is or is it much of the same like we've been talking about just how these teams are playing in front of these goalies. I think it's, sorry, and, and I missed the name at the top a- of that. Aiden Hill. Kinda, Aiden Hill. Oh, I mean, a little bit of both, right? Like, um, and it's always a little bit of both. Like, outside of Shesterkin in the first round, I don't know that anybody's just completely stood on their head. Like, Bob's producing similar numbers in this round to what Shesterkin did, but not left to his own devices as much, I don't think. So, um, there's always going to be that ingredient. And that's why goaltending never exists in a vacuum, right? It's the Thatcher Demko first third of this season with the Vancouver Canucks. I don't care how good you are. If the play in front of you isn't have at least a degree of predictability, you're screwed. And so th- those two things are always going to go hand in hand. The thing with Aiden Hill is he gave them a lot of good minutes this year. You're seeing the change in his game and, and not surprising, you know, with Sean Burke as the goalie coach there. Um, watch where he is in the crease. Uh, when they play again tomorrow night, like almost never outside the edges of it, almost never even to the edges of it. Two thirds depth max, most of the time half ice. He's a big body who puts himself in a position by playing deeper in the net that it doesn't matter what you do laterally, he gives himself a chance to get there. And yes, you give up a little more in terms of on clean looks and, and the net you surrender by playing as deep as he does and playing that style, but he's got good enough hands and there's enough puck pressure on those looks, you know, that unless you're putting him by his shoulder, you know, right over his shoulder and by his ear um, or just perfect low over the pads, he's going to give himself a chance to make those saves. So, um, you know, again, combination of how the team's playing and how he's playing and, and, and guys that play to extremes, you know, are usually exploitable in certain ways. And that's where you rely on the structure to make sure, okay, here's, here's his strength and here's his weakness. Um, we need to make sure we allow the other team to basically attack to his strengths. And I'll give you an example on Aiden Hill. We all talk about slot line plays all the time and pucks that go across the middle of the ice uh, to, to create your best offensive chances. And over the past five years in the NHL, we're, we're mo- the most increase in offense in that regard is low slot line. So plays that go across the middle but end up below the hash marks in tight to the net that those are the most dangerous ones well for Aiden Hill 
They're not. He's really good on those. Again, probably in part because he plays so deep, and that's not a big move for him. It's not a big rotation. It's not a big push. Um, he just, it, you know, because he's not out near the edge of his crease, like for every foot or two feet you take on one side, it's four feet you have to recover to get across to the other. So because he's always inside his post and always deeper, those are short pushes. But you look at high slot line plays, so laterals across the middle of the ice above the hash mark, higher in the zone, kind of thing you might be able to create on a power play or certainly look for on a two-on-one, as opposed to most guys look to make those passes in tight. In Aiden Hill's case, you're better to go and create. I mean, instinctively, we think it's a better chance when we get in tight, and that's not the case with Aiden Hill. His numbers drop off a cliff on laterals if you do it above the hash marks versus below the hash marks. And so those are where, you know, individual strengths uh, and, again, relative weaknesses in terms of the type of offense that you're, if you're Dallas, you should be trying to create. And if you're Vegas, your goal is to prevent them from getting, like, we'll give up that low lateral. Nobody wants to give it up, but we're going to give that up before we give up the high lateral and say a two-on-one rush. We'll pressure at different points to make sure that's what happens because we know and trust that the goalie behind us can take that away based on the way he plays, um, especially this year under Sean Burke. So Arthur Silovs has been so good at the Worlds that he's got all of Latvia partying, and he's got Canucks Twitter ready to trade Thatcher Demko <laughs> and hand over the keys to the kingdom to Arthur Silovs. Now, I, I don't think that is uh, a realistic scenario that's going to play out for the Canucks this offseason, but how, how impressed should we be by the play of Arthur Silovs right now? Oh, I mean, this, these are all positives, right? The arty party is raging hard over in Latvia, and that's great. I mean, any party in Latvia is a good party, from what I hear. <laughs> um, but, and so, the but, right? Like, here comes the but. Yes. Um, and it's not meant to be a negative, but you do need to sort of check expectations, right? Like, um, it's the World Championships. It's not the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, the players that are over there, excellent players. But in a lot of cases, like Arturs, guys were in the American Hockey League, right? So these are all really good positives for him. I remember last year, like the fact he went over there and basically, I can't remember if he totally took the job from Elvis Merzlikens, uh, but there was certainly a point where he did, where he outperformed him. Like those are good signs. Those are good stepping stones. The Canucks have a goalie here. But to expect success at the World Championships, hey, confidence is great too, right? This is going to boost his confidence coming into camp next year, all good things. But to expect success there to translate one for one over here, you know, isn't realistic. We're how many weeks removed from them being eliminated and the Canucks choosing Spencer Martin to start back-to-back games ahead of them. And, you know, I know the Calgary Wranglers, when that decision was made, were like, darn, because they love the fact they were going back and forth because they saw Spencer Martin as the better goalie at that point. So, um you know, like, I, I do think as positive as all of these things are, like, please do not confuse the grain of salt I'm throwing on it with negativity. These are all good things. And I think there's a bright future for Arthur Silovs ahead. But another run at the World Championships does not automatically mean that those things are going to happen faster for him or happen as early as next season um just because they're they're good the confidence is good but just let's let's not get it i i know it's a big ask for canucks fandom and canucks twitter
ourselves too far on this one. And I'm saying that as a guy who's a big C-Loves fan, right? Yeah. Like, and have talked a long time about all the potential in his game and, and, and all the steps he's taken and the work he puts in. But again, world championship success, it's not a negative, but it's not necessarily going to translate as early as September into, hey, you're ready for the NHL. Welcome to the show, kid. There's no looking back. Nothing can stop you now. now we'll let you go after this just really quickly, though, because there are a lot of discussions and questions about, you know, could Silovs be the next Demko? In fairness, and just in, in terms of getting the range of outcomes, like what are the range of outcomes, realistic range of outcomes for Silovs if he hits? Like, is it even fair to talk about him hitting and being a Demko type of player? I don't think it's fair to talk about it in terms of expectations, but I think there you've seen enough times in terms of the physical tools um, to think it's at least possible. Um, and he took some massive steps this year, and it wasn't we knew the physical tools, the dramatic saves, the athleticism, the explosiveness, that's always been there. Um, but it was a tendency to sort of go to the extremes, uh, to go into save execution mode far too prematurely in play sequences, um, to get into goalie nine one one off first saves and have nothing left for the second and third, or even get him in on you know on second save opportunities and then have nothing left for the third. Uh, that you know I wasn't sure to be honest with you that he'd be able to quiet that down and and it was good. I thought it would be necessary at the NHL level and I, you know again all the work and the technical work he's done with Ian Clark is a part of this, but also I think Marco Terranius, um the job he did sort of seemed to really quiet some elements of his game and and just allow the game it's a cliche but allowing the game to come to you a little bit longer before you sort of get locked in low and wide and and eager to make a save and that patience that he showed this year at the nhl level again that was a huge step and i wasn't sure he had it so if you can continue to build on that with all those physical tools then sure like yeah the upside is there but to have that as an expectation, like, I don't know that that's necessarily even fair to the kid at this point. Like, like don't forget. And maybe, maybe I, maybe I'm got too high expectations for that. Maybe I hold him too highly, but I see him as an elite number one in the national hockey league. Um, and having that ability. And we've seen signs of it in the NHL play out in front of us. And so I, I just think when you're talking about a top 10 guy as expectations, you know, man, you you got to do a lot more before you can sort of count uh, count on count on those uh, eggs before hatched or chickens before hatched or whatever it is. It's just potential, yes. Expectation to me is a different 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 thing. Woodley, you're the best. Thanks for this. Appreciate it, guys. Have a good one. Enjoy yeah. the hockey tonight. Yeah, you too. There is uh, Kevin Woodley in Goal Magazine and covering the Canucks at NHL.com. Insights on what goes into the goaltending we see in these games. Uh, we will break for today. Tomorrow, Harmon Dial will join us on Canucks Central, and we'll have more on your Vancouver Canucks. For producers Elon and Josh, my co-host Sat, I'm Dan. You've been listening to Canucks Central.